That's right. Talking with T-Bird is back. Thank you, Will from America, for the intro song. I'm Rob Sesternino, and I am back with the woman who tracks down those hard-to-find survivors. Here she is. It's Teresa T-Bird Cooper. Hey, Rob! How are you doing today? Yeah, doing great, T-Bird. Very excited to be back here with you to talk to a man who came in third place like myself in Survivor, the Australian Outback, and that would be Mr. Keith Famey. Yep. I moved my bell, but I, ha- I had a ding on that one. Okay, so I didn't know you guys finished in the same place, because you know there's a connection there with whoever you... Like, for me, from Australia, it was Roger. Because Roger finished in the fifth position, so so Roger and I have that, that, that kinder spirit going, and you and Keith do. Keith, I'm fascinated with him. I had no idea what a interesting, fascinating guy he is way before we saw him on Survivor in 2001. He was doing already some pretty cool, awesome things. So he is going to be so much fun to listen to today. Okay. So, yeah, we got a lot of ground to cover with Keith coming up here in this podcast. The other day only, we talked with Randy Bailey, and I said that was like a bittersweet combo of the always super sweet Teresa Cooper and then the sometimes salty (laughs) Randy Bailey. Well, it was great to see that side of him because, you know, like I mentioned, the way I met him, I've seen that side, um, but I know a lot of people hadn't, so so I think that was good. I hope Randy enjoyed it, because you know, sometimes you get this, you're a character, and you like to state that character and have that image, so I hope Randy's been okay with mm-hmm. people seeing his his other side. Yeah. Do you know? Has he said? Do you know? Do you know? Have I seen Randy's other side? No. Do you know if he's okay with people seeing that other side? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, I feel like that that's probably a deep dive into Randy's psyche that somebody else that was more qualified <laughs> would, would have to do. Does he put up the, you know, the wall to keep people out, but then the people who can get in see a different guy? That I don't know. Yeah. I'm not qualified okay. to say. You're not. Oh, Rob, you're all kind of qualified. T-Bird, is there anybody in the survivor world that you don't get along with? You don't have to say who it is. Oh my gosh. I can't even believe you're asking me that right now. Rob, since you ask, you know, since you ask. Sounds like the answer is going to be yes. Well, it, it's, it's not going to be exactly yes, but it is going to be this. You know, we've been doing these, uh, talking with T Bird. We're in season two. Yay! The bell. Hey, I, I had to use the bell. <laughs> and I actually got a message today from someone. A former survivor that was not happy with some of the 
comments that I made. Oh. Um, yeah. And I've not had that happen before. It was, um, it really kind of took some of the air, you know, some of the air out because, you know, I try so hard to, to research and then word, word things exactly like they are. Yeah. And this one hurt somebody and it really is not what I intended to do, would ever want to do, would n- never intentionally do. So I've tried to get, you know, you know, I told Glenn, I said, baby, I know that there are going to be people, everybody can't like you and everybody can't like the work you do, or there'll be things that you'll say that people will take in a different context and the way you actually mean it. So that actually happened this afternoon before. Oh, I'm sorry uh, to hear that, Tiber, because I've definitely no, gotten that okay. message a few times. It, well, <laughs> so you you said you're used to that. I mean, you've yeah, probably I'm experienced the same yeah. thing. Yeah. It, does it bother you? Mm, I mean, when then the person says they're going to do physical harm to me, that's the part that bothers me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, ideally, well, I don't like to make we, people upset. We didn't get that far with any physical harm at yeah. this point. I'll keep you posted. But no, it, again, it wasn't my intention. And, and I know, like I said, it depends. Kind of like you said, you know, digging down deep into Randy's psyche. People have a lot of stuff that they've gone through because they're survivor. And it's not all good stuff. So sometimes people carry a lot around with them. And see, for me, when I'm reaching out, to research, I don't know what a lot of people would have happened with a lot of people on their season with these other characters. I don't know that. And, you know, I just did, I did learn and I let this particular person know that I will be more sensitive when I do my research to make sure that I don't, you know, because that's important to me. So anyway, that you just happened to ask me that today. And today's the first time um, that it's happened since we've been doing the talking with T-Bird. So it kind of, like I said, I it it deflated me a little only because I knew I hurt somebody that I absolutely would never, ever do mm. to anyone, period. So okay. there it is. All right, T-Bird. Well, you just wish you know, hadn't asked me that. You bring a lot of happiness to people. People especially loved your quiz for Randy Bailey last week. So you're making a lot of people smile, <laughs> including yours truly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank okay. you, Rob. All right. Well, thank you. before we get to talking with Keith Famey, let me take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. Those are our friends over at rockauto.com. Uh, T-Bird, one reason to repair and maintain your cars, and I'm not sure if T-Bird has any memorable stories about cars uh, that she would uh, share at any point, but we're not talking about that right now. Okay. You want to maintain your car to save money so that you can use it for important things like the mortgage or food. Why would you want to pay 30%, 50%, or 100% more for the same exact auto parts? T-Bird, you would never do that, right? No, I wouldn't. And I live out in the country, so I have hit a deer or two. So I wonder if I uh, get in touch with Rock Auto and say, hey, I need the whole side panel replaced on this car. I just hit a deer. Rock Auto. Can I do that? Yeah, I don't know if, they, if you can uh, get the side panel or, but look it up, rockauto.com. They're a family business. They serve auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to Rock Auto. That's as long as Survivor. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto or body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from the engine control modules to the brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, 
even new carpet, whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered right to your door. And rockauto.com's catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, and then you choose the brand, the specification, and the price that you prefer. And best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, write Rob as a podcast in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Okay, T-Bird, we've got Keith Famey on the line. Let's go ahead and patch him in. T-Bird, take it away. All right. Today's guest lived a fascinating, impressive, adventurous life way before we were introduced to him January 2001 on Survivor. Long before, well, actually, years before we saw Elizabeth on the ABC talk show The View and later as co-host on Fox and Friends and previous to Varner being an entertainment reporter for E!, host for the TV Guy channel, and fill-in host for Live with Regis and Kelly before Jerry appeared on the cover of the September 2001 issue of Playboy magazine, prior to Colby being a guest host for Top Shot and Top Guns and host of the butchering competition reality show The Butcher and Alone on the History Channel, previous to Alicia being a fitness correspondent for the program Pure Oxygen on Oxygen Network, co-host for one of the ESPN anthology series and doing commercials for Reebok. And before Tina was a motivational speaker, there was today's guest who, at 28 years old in 1988, opened his own restaurant, Les Souteurs, an American bistro which was featured in Esquire magazine, Best New Restaurants of 1988, in America, two separate times, and then he was recognized by Food and Wine as one of the 10 best new chefs in 1989. Did I mention all of this under the age of 30? He then made television appearances and cooking segments for local Detroit TV stations. In 1998, he wrote a cookbook titled Famie's Adventures in Cooking. So, with quite an accomplished resume, His life would appear to most to be complete, but he wasn't satisfied. He needed and wanted something more, more adventure. So at the age of 40, this father of two from Bloomfield, Michigan, was cast on the top rated show of 2001, which brought in, according to Nielsen ratings, 30 million viewers each week and is still the highest ranked season of the series. Survivor, the Australian Outback, Season 2. He finished in an impressive third place, making it to day 41 out of 42 days. This already wildly accomplished man has continued his success streak, writing a post-Survivor cookbook titled, Yes, I Can Cook Rice and So Can You. He hosted his own Food Network series, Keith Famey's Adventures, traveling the globe, documenting cooking styles. And then in 2004, the adventure chef decided on a new adventure, documentary filmmaking. His human interest stories have earned him 11 
Michigan Emmys, and have been broadcast on PBS. His latest book, Living Through the Lens, tells of his personal growth through his career as a filmmaker as he follows the journey of people who triumph in the face of adversity. A man who has many titles from celebrity chef, entrepreneur, restaurateur, reality star, world traveler, philanthropist, director, producer, but probably he will tell us his proudest accomplishment, dad. I introduce to you a guy who believes that if you do good things, good things will come. Making his first, his very first appearance on RHAP, I am proud and so honored to introduce Keith Bamey. Wow, Keith. How about that intro? Yeah, that's, uh, that was, uh, gosh, am I that old? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's been, life has been, life has been, I always say life is a journey. Every day is a journey. Just make the best of the journey. Doesn't matter how simple, complicated, exciting, boring it is. Suck that air in and make the best of it every day. Keith, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you guys doing? Yeah. Hanging in there, hanging in there. Where I'm, we're very. How could we be doing bad? We're talking to you today. Well, there you go. Hope I don't disappoint you. My goodness. Yeah, very exciting to just to hear your voice. Uh, that it's a, a real throwback to uh, when we all got to watch you on Survivor. And I do have a copy of Living Through the Lens, which you were nice enough to uh, send me a couple of months ago. Uh, it's a beautiful, like full color book with so many uh, pictures of everything that you've been able to capture. And so, uh, thank you very much uh, for that. No, you're welcome. Yeah, I just uh, I've met so many amazing people that have been on their own life journeys, and you know, and, and as as a documentary filmmaker, I've just been honored to be able to shed a light on their stories and help them tell their stories. So they're really the unsung heroes. Obviously, the book. Uh, I mean, I've countless individuals, but the individuals in the book, I was just they just taught me so much about life. You know. Yeah, everything from being blind to struggles with cancer. Just and I thought it'd be important to share those stories. Did your experience in front of the camera really help you as a documentarian, as a person behind the camera? Um. So, well, here's the journey on the documentary. Why I do what I do now. First of all, let's go back to survive. Let's go back to the outback for a minute. You know, the last week or so, of oh, the wait, show. Hold on, I can get you ready to be in the outback. Hold, hold on, one second here. Let me get you ready to go back. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, we're in the outback. That does it. I wish I could play the didgeridoo like that. Um, so, you know, the last <laughs> week or eight days or so being there, I just really kind of, I guess I just kind of stepped away from the game. I was like, I was very satisfied with the fact I'd made it that far. And I kind of took every day, every day is its own day. I didn't treat it as, uh, you know, like uh, any manipulation in relation to the game in any heavy way. It was really, I was just happy to be there every day. I was still there. But the last seven or eight days, I just kind of <clears throat> spent a lot of time by myself doing some soul searching. You know, I was a single dad, divorced. I mean, the whole reason I got in, wanted to play the game Survivor was really simple. How many games can you play? You got a one in 16 chance of winning a million bucks. And as a single dad, 
uh, you know, you could use the dollars. And, and you know, I, I was really looking. That was it for me. I was went on for the, the money. But the last seven or eight days, it was really more about a personal reflection and looking at life itself, myself. A lot of the failures that I've had and, you know, and successes, but probably more failures than successes. But I had a lot of time to be alone and just hear nothing. It's really odd when you, it's very rare can you go someplace for any extended period of time and hear no sound at all uh, and know you're really alone in the outback kind of served that up in a big way. And I, I'd go sit on these ledges and just sit for hours and just listen to nothing but my own thoughts. So it was kind of a, for me, it was a little bit of a soul searching process, you know, uh, about who I was and what I wanted to do at 40 years old. And, you know, the things I've come across and wish I'd done differently. When I, when Survivor was over, you know, you guys know the routine. It's, uh, you know, you are, uh, as long as they're promoting the show, you are everything is first class with CBS. It's quite an experience. The Regis, you know, I did Regis several times in Hollywood Squares and Oprah and all those things. And boy, everything is amazing. But when the show, when they're done promoting that show, uh, you know, the first class stuff stops real fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't even get your cabs in. Um, I, I signed with Food Network and had a great series with Food Network and stuff. And my father. Uh, in 2000 was actually diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, and I became his custodial guardian. I took care of him, but it was really years 2002 that he got really bad. 2001, 2002. And I I spent a lot of time with my dad who raised me. I I was adopted. And when my father passed away, I was there, uh, when he took his last breath, holding his hand and it was, um, it was, it was, it was sad. It was, it was, it was sad. It, it was sad and it was lonely and it was confusing. I think that I just, um, to see somebody leave and then you kind of say, what the hell? That's it. That's, that's what life all meant. It all comes down to this one moment here. And I just became, a, a, I guess I became frustrated with who I was. You know, I was this adventure chef guy and it was everything was always about me and I was always in front of the camera and all that kind of stuff. And and I thought, you know what, I just don't want to do this anymore. I, I just I want to find a different way to lead my life. And um, I, I knew a lot about production because I had my own series on Food Network and I had known a little bit, a fair amount of production before even Survivor. Uh, and I'm going to answer your question, Rob. I'm sorry about that. Um, You're doing great, Keith. Yeah. And uh, so it was kind of like I decided that I wanted to find a different way to utilize what I know, but to do it differently. And how could I and it just came down, I came down to the conclusion that I wanted to help other people tell stories. I want to help them tell their stories of their lives. And um, and that it all started with that. I, the first series was called The Our Story of. We did a <clears throat> five ethnic stories, our Italian story, Polish story, Greek story, Arab American story, Indian story. We always took somebody back from their homeland from Michigan and retraced their footsteps. And, you know, I really, that was it. I was, I was, the bug was there. I was, I, I enjoyed producing and directing and helping people tell their stories and, and really become deeply involved in their their journeys that they've been on it was it was so nice to step away from the journey that i've been on and and that's what i've been doing for years now back to your 
there's no question that being on Survivor and watching how they um, did the interview process, having having experienced it firsthand, uh, I gained a, a repertoire of knowledge, if you will, of how to structure or help build a story, uh, not in a competitive kind of way, like we were, you know, that we were in the midst of it all the time, but really in the story standpoint. Um, so. Yeah, there, there, there's no question that I gained. It, it helped me with what I, what I, what I do now and stuff like that. Um, of course, over the years now, since then, I've molded and developed my own style of how I approach things. And the, the one film that you know, the film that's airing right now nationally on PBS is called "Those on the Front Lines of Cancer." It's a two-hour documentary, um, very powerful film, you know, about cancer and what it's like to live with it, and the, who's doing what on the front lines and how far have we come and, you know, all those kinds of things. And then a few years ago, we did one about Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, and then we did a 13-part series on women and aging. We did a seven-part series on men and aging. We did an eight-part series called The Embrace of Dying, How We Deal at the End of Life. Um, and then we're in the midst of three films right now, one on uh, Down syndrome called Chromos Only Enhanced, What's Your Superpower? And I, I created this idea that, not the, I didn't create the idea, but I created the idea of the film that, Individuals that have Down syndrome have this extra chromosome, which they do, but they have a certain empathetic sweetness and kindness about them that that a lot of people don't really understand. And I wanted to magnify that in this film, and it's it's coming along really well. Uh, and then we're doing a film about the Holocaust, but it's taking I'm taking a very unique approach called Shoah Ambassadors. I'm not Jewish, but I've I've been fortunate to have done quite a bit. I filmed at Auschwitz and all that over the years, but. The idea of bringing two young people on Shoah means Holocaust. Uh, ambassadors means these two young people brought two young people in their early 20s. And through their mediums, their their expertise, one's an artist, a sculptress, one's a singer, rapper. They've We've engulfed them in, in the world of the Holocaust through museums and interviewing Holocaust survivors. And they're going to tell the story. For the younger generation, it's really a film about the younger generation understanding what the Holocaust meant and what it is and, and how it relates to so many of the social issues that we deal with today in today's world. Keith, uh, it, it seems like that you've captured so many people going through uh, painful experiences and adversity. What, what has all of uh, everything that you've seen from all these different people taught you that our listeners uh, might not even think about in terms of uh, what you've seen? Um, I think that, and rightfully, well, let me just say it this way. I think that we, um, I'm at fault as anybody else. I think sometimes we whine and complain too much about... Uh, not me, Keith. Yeah. T-Bird, maybe. <laughs> <You know. laughs> not me. We, I think we whine and complain <laughs> about too much, too much shit. And there's people that are dealing with some really complicated issues in life, and they do it with a smile on their face. And uh, I think that there's a lot to be said for individuals that just buck it up, suck it up, and just push through things that, you know, we, we as you know, myself, you know, could not even imagine uh, harnessed with. And, and I admire, I, I admire greatly. I mean, I, I've spent you know, a year and a half working with people who are blind and, and, and one little girl who's no longer a little girl, she's an executive at Apple, but she, I, I filmed her very first day of high school. She was born without an eye. She was one pound, six ounces when she was born. 
she's literally born without eyes and, and, and an amazing human being. Um, so, I mean, you know, these, whenever I feel like, <clears throat> boy, I just, I'm having a rough day or whatever. All I got to do is, <laughs> all I got to is reach into my, my world of, of friends that I've made around the, and just, you know, say, all right, stop, stop whining, <laughs> you know, just, but I, I think that, I think that we can all learn from each other. I think that, I think we all, a lot of us know that we do know that. I think that some people live in a world in a bubble that they feel that the world is their, that's their world. And, and that's the only thing that really matters. And there's a lot of selfishness and, and, uh, you know, that chest beating that, that the world revolves around me. And I think that that's, it's, it's sad, but, um, I think more often people should look outside their world at others and gain strength and perspective of what it is to be human, you know. Keith, all your documentaries are powerful. They're all powerful. So I'm curious to know which one, although I think I might know, I don't know, which is the most moving to you or which is the most, is the dearest to your heart. And I know you've done uh, so journey. many moving. Mary's journey. Mary's journey by far. So Mary, uh, uh, I met Mary when she was 23. She, uh, uh, if I can, if I can share the story, it's, it's, it's unusual in how I met her. I, I mean, I think fate and the aligning of the universe comes together for all of us in ways. Sometimes we pay attention and sometimes we just go through life and things happen and we don't know why. I was having chest pains, uh, and I, this is a few years back, six, seven years ago, I was having chest pains. I went to see a, a cardiologist. And uh, they couldn't find anything, but these chest pains literally would wake me up in the middle of the night. And I ignored them for a long time. And finally, I went to, to see this cardiologist, and the, 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 the she treated it like it was an emergency, EKG, all this other stuff and everything. So I came in that morning, and she couldn't find anything. And uh, I had known her before. She was uh, an associate of somebody I had featured in a women's film about aging. And uh, she goes, Keith, I can't find anything. I said, Monica, it's like, it's right here. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. She says, I can't find anything. She says, you know, let's set you up for a stress test. I said, that's fine. And our, our conversation digressed. She goes, what are you working on? I said, we're starting to work on a, a series about the embrace of dying, how we deal at the end of life and what people go through in hospice and all these different things. And she goes, you know, I've got a patient. She's 23 years old. She's got a really rare cancer. It's called cardiac sarcoma. She uh, she literally has a tumor in her heart, and I said I had no idea you get cancer of the heart. She says it's rare, but it's 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 a it's a brutal cancer. It's like cancer on steroids because it's being fed pumped blood. And uh, she said she's uh, she's a dynamic young lady who's who's got some really tough road ahead of her. We don't know what's going to happen. We're trying to shrink the tumor, and she might be willing to talk to you about what she's going through. I said, would you like to talk to her? I said, yeah, God, I'd I'd love to talk to her if she if she would talk to me. Um. Got back to my office an hour later. Monica calls me. Said Mary will meet with you. Give her a call. I called Mary. I went through her house. I, I went to see her the next day, Friday. She's living in a nursing home where she was an employee. She was a nurse's aide. Uh, she was living there uh, because she had a really distant, dysfunctional relationship with her parents. She was bald. Her legs are swollen from the from the cancer from the edema from the uh, chemotherapy from the edema. And I met with her and we talked and. Um, I spent a lot of time getting to know, I didn't bring a camera. I didn't get to know her. I wanted her to get to know me. And, uh, and, and I was really, I was really upset and irritated. The fact that I'm thinking, why is this? She's the same age as my daughter. Why is she in this nursing home? Where is everybody? How lonely must cancer be, uh, for her? 
And so I said, you know, like, come back and do an interview with you next week if you're okay with that. She said, yes. I said, give me your cell phone number. I call her number. She's sitting right there. The phone, her phone rings, and it's the ringtone, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, 1962, 63, Spaghetti Western, Clint Eastwood. Everyone knows, a lot of people know mm-hmm. the tune. A lot of people may not know the tune. And I said, Mary, out of all the tune, out of all the ringtones you could have, why that ringtone? And she said, well, it's just something I like. Yeah, but you got to find that. And there's a lot of music out there. And she goes, I know. I just like it. I said, Mary, that's my ringtone on my phone. And uh, it was, for me, it was like, how could, you know, two people meet so unusually and they have the same ringtone? And I woke up the next day and the chest pains were gone. And they never came back. And I so I, I went and I did this interview with Mary. And the one interview turned into, make a long story short, eight months. I decided she didn't belong in that film uh, about the the embrace of dying. She really needed her own story. And we're going to go on a journey with her to see what it's like to be a, a cancer patient, how lonely it can be. And uh, she and I became very close. I ended up taking her to a lot of her chemo appointments because she didn't have anyone to take her. So she'd have to go. In a, in a van, they'd pick her up, very lonely existence, dropped off, and, you know, come back. So I would take her to appointments and take her to lunch. And, you know, it just became very close to her. And my wife came close, Catherine came close to her, and, you know, my whole network. I just really wanted her not to feel alone. And uh, David Spade was coming to town. I was able to arrange for her to meet David Spade and see him in concert. And, and Kenny Chesney came to town. I arranged for her to meet Kenny Chesney and go to his concert, all these things. And, when they couldn't shrink the tumor any longer, uh, and then she was not going to be able to, they weren't going to be able to help her, um, she uh, was going to go into hospice. She met a blind carpenter, a friend of mine, blind carpenter, who Mary decided that when she died, she always wanted to see the ocean. Her brothers and sisters were going to put, she was one of 13 kids, raised, homeschool. Um, but only was close to two brothers and a sister. They were going to put her ashes in Lake Michigan because she always wanted to see the ocean. We had this whole discussion, she and I, and um, I said, Mary, what if your ashes went in a boat? She's, oh my God, that'd be amazing. I'm like a little sailboat. Oh, that'd be amazing. Well, one, one thing led to another. She met George Wurzel, who's totally blind, but in an incredible, like, carpenter. Like, he builds stuff like you furniture and everything. You know, it's astonishing what the guy can do. Um, and, uh, George came and met Mary, big guy, six foot four, looks like Sasquatch, enormous guy. He came and met Mary and they talked and he built her a three and a half foot little wooden sailboat that her ashes when she died. And I promised her I wouldn't stop filming. I filmed it right through her dying. Uh, and her ashes went in this sailboat and the sailboat was launched in Northern Lake, Michigan. She wrote a message on the sail that said, my name is Mary, and it's spelled M-A-I-R-E. My name is Mary. Uh, I died of cardiac sarcoma. My ashes are in this boat. I'm trying to reach the ocean. If you find me, please place me back on my path, and I'll bless you from heaven. And and we followed that boat almost six weeks for it to get to uh, New York City Harbor. She was on planes, trains, automobiles. The Girl Scouts had her. Veterans had her. All kinds of people that find her boat floating picked it up to help her get to the get to the ocean, and it's an amazing story about one young lady's journey with cancer and how people came to her aid in her afterlife journey to help her 
get to her where she was trying to reach. And it's really a, you know, really a very powerful film that actually will be launching nationally, I do believe, soon. To an org- we have a meeting tomorrow with an organization. It went to Sundance and uh, it, it did a lot of film festivals and stuff, but it's now just going to get its legs. So I've done a lot of great films that touch a lot of people's lives. Mary is, is very, very close to me. And I think that, um, that that's, it's, you, you can't learn, you cannot not learn from this story. Yeah. I don't uh, care who you, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care how big, tough guy you are. You're going to cry, man. <laughs> and I'm seeing some of the pictures of uh, Mary in the boat uh, in, in the book, uh, which is really amazing to see that it's a very tiny boat uh, that is uh, really uh, amazing to see. Keith, in terms of your own chest pain, your, your heart condition, did you feel like that you were healed in your experience with her? Or do you feel like that it was more that uh, almost something was missing from you and I it was manifesting th- in your heart pain? I, th- I think that the chest palpitations, whatever I was feeling, was just the universe, supreme being, God, whatever you want to go knocking on the door saying i have someone for you to meet and she needs you to tell her story and you're gonna go do it now you don't know this is what's gonna happen but i'm taking you there right now this is what you're gonna do and i think that i think i met mary for the reason that first of all i gained so much from being with her and learning from her as a young lady going through cancer but i think that i was put on her path she was put on my path so i could tell her story and others can learn from her story. Hey, Rob, I don't think I've ever need a Kleenex during our interviews. This is very touching. Again, yeah. Mary's story is so touching. Gosh, yeah, Keith, it's, it's, who it's knew? I mean, you gosh, it is very powerful. I actually thought you were going to say that maybe the uh, those on the front lines of Alzheimer's and dementia might have been the one you said because of your your dad. No but, question wow. that 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 that's an important film. But the, you know that film features doctors and scientists, and you know of course a lot of rich and powerful stories and stuff. And of course, I lost my dad. But the film that would marry, I really personally went on this journey with her. Gosh, every day it seemed like, and and um, I was so intricately involved with her trying to beat this cancer. And them cut this tumor out. And I'd gone to so many meetings with doctors and I, and I became an advocate for her, you know, cause she didn't have anybody with her. I said, Mary, you've got to ask. If you don't start asking tougher questions of these doctors, I'm going to, while I'm filming, I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask the questions for you. You've got to ask tougher questions, Mary. You've got to be, you've got to ask them these questions. And so, you know, I, I became very, very emotionally, uh, tied into Mary's story, you know. I don't think, I mean, watching your season and, and you making it in day 41, we didn't see this side of you. We didn't see, I mean, you're a very caring, giving, sensitive man to do the work you're doing. You have to be. Yeah. So I explain to people, Survivor, you go in as a person, you come out as a cast member. You have to understand that. You know, you can't, um, we, three of us, understand very clearly. You know, they're, they're, they set up these, these editing production entities, if you will, in the field. They're, they shoot one day. They're editing that night and the next two days 
of what they shot and they're building a story. So when they come back to you, you, when your producer comes back to you after two or three days, they've got a story thread already going in their head of where this is going. They just have to try to connect the, make sure the dots connect. Um, and they do it organically and naturally with us. That's what makes the show so successful. But they do have a, they do have a shot list and they do have a focal point of where they're going. So yeah, your personality is going to be driven. Your personality and how you respond to things is going to be driven around the subject and content of what they're discussing at the time. So, you know, I'm saying that, you know, and, and, yes. uh, you know, and even if, and if for all of us, I mean, Jerry being portrayed as just an absolute horrendous person, she and I are good friends now. Um, she, you know, that of course they needed, in within the context of all the individuals and the demographics, every, every every individual, they need certain characters to be who they are, and they picked them for that reason because they knew Jerry could be abrasive. And when she went through the interviewing process, they knew they knew I could cook great. And they knew what Jerry could cook, and they knew that somehow the two of us are going to clash, and she's going to say you can't cook rice. What what as a chef? Let me just say this to you as a chef. What's the one thing every chef is most excited about doing as being in the New York Times? Well, I made it in the New York Times, but I made it in the New York Times while the show was on with an article on the front page of the food section that said, the guy can't cook rice. That's not the way you want to be in the New York Times. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's what you sign up for. And that's, you know, that's fine. That's all. It's all fine. Keith, I was going to ask by any chance that uh, I, I don't suspect you ever keep up with the show, but uh, your old tribe mate Amber happened to have played on this past season. Yeah, I don't. Um, I didn't. No, I, I did not see it. What, what was the last season? Amber, by the way, she's really great. You know, she's really great. Winners at um, war. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I haven't, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just haven't seen a season in, in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling, but yeah, yeah she, she <laughs> came back and uh, it didn't go so great. So you didn't, you didn't miss much. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you know, the Survivor birthed and Big Brother, but pretty much Survivor birthed the reality TV uh, empire, if you were the craze. And, and of course, over the years, we've seen a lot of reality type shows, and then we've seen them slowly fall by the wayside, and more the uh, written screen script, scripted uh, sitcoms starting to slowly make their way back in into the world. Um, but by golly, think about some of the <laughs> some of the reality shows that came and went. You know, mm -hmm. you know, you know, everything became a reality show. I walked my dog, and the cat bit me. There's a show. Let's do it. Executives, let's take that one to market. <laughs> you know, just, you know, mm -hmm. crazy stuff. So, Keith, I read that you are a finalist for actually for Borneo. Is that true? And if, if so, that means you were right. You, you wanted to do this before anybody knew about it. Uh, yeah. How'd you know that? Well, you know, Rob and I do our homework, don't we, Rob? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, you do you want this? Yeah, I guess I can tell you the story now. It's been almost 20 years. Yes! Um, so, yeah, I was a finalist for Borneo. They had called me. I had applied, and, and they had called me and said, we want you to come to L.A., and at the same time, I was scheduled to be in Mexico working on a documentary, uh, like an adventure-type cooking show for NBC affiliate here in Michigan. 
And, um, and I, I, I couldn't, I, 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 they said, well, if you don't come to LA, you're not going to have a chance. I said, well, I got to let it go. I can't, can't do this to this production. It's taken me a long time to set this production up. So I didn't go. And, um, and then I let it go. And then I saw the show and I watched the show and I was like, oh, thank God I wasn't on this show. You know, and I was so glad I wasn't on the show. I was like, oh my God, this, this would have been a train wreck. Boy, am I glad I didn't do that. And then the show went, Survivor One Ends, and I get a call from the producers and said, hey, you know, you were a finalist for Survivor One. You were pretty much a shoe in. We really wanted you. You want to apply for Survivor Two? And I said, nope, not interested. <laughs> they said, no. They called me on wow. Thursday. And they said, you got to do it. You guys said, I'm not interested. I'm not. No, no thank you very much. And um, I had told an a TV executive who was the uh, president at the time of NBC here in Michigan at the Detroit. And I said, Oh, they called me. Why do me do it? And he said, you're doing it right. I said, no, I'm not doing it. There's no way. He said, you're out of your mind. You got to do this. I said, I'm not doing it. And he told me like, for, like for two days straight, call me and come Monday morning. He'd convinced me. I said, you should really try to do it. So I called him back in LA and said, all right, I'll, and they said, all right, you got to go through the process of reapplying. I reapplied sent everything in i had to do it all fast because it was a time deadline time sensitive and um you know and i was i was picked to i still had to go through the same process and they pick 800 and you have to go to the different meet and tell them why you want to be on survivor and then they pick you and you end up in this case it was la for i don't know if they do it anymore you know there are 48 of us selected to go to the final rounds out of uh i think 48,000 that were applicants at the time and I remember walking into the, I walked into the uh, Burnett, you know, you know, I, I don't know how they did your interviews and stuff, but they didn't tell you when you're going to be, when you had any meeting. So I arrived in LA at like nine at night. They changed your name, you know, they changed your name. So you have an alias and stuff like that. And you don't leave your hotel room unless you meet with a doctor, or psychologist or producer. So you stay in your room the whole time. And they say to you, as soon as you get there, um, you're going to have, meetings we don't know when they are we'll just come to your door i hadn't been there 30 minutes in my room and they knocked on my door and said uh, you know they want to the producers would like to meet you i said all right fine so we walk i walk into the the suite upstairs i don't know 10th floor or whatever and in la at this at double tree i don't know where it was mm -hmm. and um every all the producers are sitting there it was interesting because i walk in and nobody says anything to me and in the so you walk into the suite and you've got about 10 people there. You've got maybe four or five on a couch and some chairs. And they're all flanked against the wall. There's a glass table there. And there's a chair in front of the table. And they, they think they just assume I'd walk in and sit down. But I walked in and just kind of looked at everybody. And I saw some drinks over there. I said, uh, can I have one of these drinks? And they said, yeah, help yourself. And they were just kind of like you felt like you were a rat in a, bio in a biology you know, an experiment. They're just watching you walk around the room. I didn't say anything. They ain't saying to me. Finally, I sat down and Burnett goes, you know, I thought you were much bigger. And I said, you know, it's not the size of the dog. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And Burnett's kind of chuckled and goes, oh, yeah, I'm not a very big guy either. So, and, and that was the way the whole thing <laughs> kind of started. And then it was just a matter of, all right, so here the game is. So I kind of took it every every step of the way. I thought, all right, so the game here now is how do I just get picked? I don't care about the game. How do I get past this process? So um, so after, you know, 10 days, they have picked their 16. So about five days into it, I'm starting to watch this them whittle people out. Out of the 48 people, you start seeing less of the people. 
So you know you're coming down, you're getting down towards the end. And I thought, eh, let's stack the deck in my favor a little bit. So, <laughs> so I found out who the casting director, producer was. She had an office there. And I knew where that office was. And they all this uh, different people coming and going. So I knew who that was. And so I I figured, you know what, let's just send a little gesture to her. So I called and ordered a dozen roses um, uh, through a florist, had them sent to the hotel, to that office, to that room, with a little note on it that just said, uh, hey, just want to tell you, if I don't make it any further, thank you very much for, it's been just been a blast. Thank you very much for the mm-hmm. invite. And so I, you know, my name at the time was John Vittorio. So she knew who it was. And I was just, it was, <laughs> hey, you know, you know, it, listen, the game is survivor. You do what you got to do to, you know, move things along. And so whether it helped or not, I don't know, but I'm sure it didn't hurt. Oh my God. What a great story. Not just another pretty face. I got to ask these two questions, Rob. I have to, I have to, I have to. First question is this. What did you learn anything when you watched Borneo other than you never wanted to do it? You didn't want to do it after you saw it that helped you get to the final three of Australia? No, I don't think so. Because, I, you know, I was so mind. At first, I didn't even watch the whole season of Borneo. I only watched a couple of them. And, uh, you know, I, I was, you know, single dad, all that kind of stuff. I just didn't have the time. Um, so I was like, no, not for me. I'm glad I didn't do that. And I could run around some naked guy. Um, so no, and then and then I and then and as I explained to everybody, all the strategy planning you put into your head and all that stuff. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be great at that. I'm going to start a fire. I'm going to be this guy. Blah blah blah. And the first 24 hours, that shit goes out the window real fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything you think you remember or you're planning, forget about it. And uh, you just got to you just got to try to do the best you can and be be the best team player you can be. And, and I always tell people that the individuals that start playing this game immediately when they're there, usually the first ones to go. So, Keith, I want to yeah. ask you about uh, a point early on in your Survivor game, because the, the legend is that you were going to be one of the people that was voted out early. I, I don't know if you remember this level yeah. of, of detail yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, when Mitchell yeah. was the person that got voted out and there was like a very late stage uh, coup, which ended up swinging the vote for things to go in your favor and ultimately build the foundation of getting you and Tina and Colby to the final three. Is that how that went down? Yeah, it is all on the way to tribal council. Actually, we were walking to tribal council, and uh, I knew I knew what was happening. I knew what was going on, and I, you know, I think I said to Tina, I think she probably went to Colby because by then her and Colby have already sparked uh, some kind of a relationship, friendship, whatever. And um, you know, I just said to Tina, and I, Tina, I got again, I got close really quickly. It was kind of like a brother sister kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I said to Tina, I said, listen. Uh, Hey, I, I'd love to stick around. I will work, you know, I'll, I can guarantee I'll stay as a, a hardworking individual for this team and so on. And, uh, um, you know, I think that you guys can still, you can use me, you can use me on Overcore. Um, however this goes down, you know, and, and I think that she knew that she could sense that Mitchell was kind of tired by that. I mean, and I talked to Mitchell for, yeah. pretty regularly all the time, actually, but I think he was just, he was just, fatigued i mean this the dude the dude was skinny going in after you know 
the what, it was the second or third tribal council or whatever it was he was really really tired you know and uh i think he was like and especially went to a tie which was funny it went to a tie uh and they never had a tie before i mean the, the game was early in the in the development they never had a tie before so they had to call la wake up some attorney to go to some rule book mm-hmm. so that tribal council took like two or three hours or four hours just ridiculous because they had to wait till they get understand what happens when there's a tie <laughs> so uh yeah it was uh and, and if i think mitchell finally said hey listen i want to go home I'm yeah done. he was and exhausted he threw, it, threw, threw in the towel yeah yeah um since we're talking about life at Ogacore, keith i'm sure this is a question you used to get all the time can you tell us what went on with the beef jerky because i think uh this you know tw- 20 years later people yeah. still want to know yeah the jury's still out on it aren't the they? jury uh, is so, still out the jury's still out on that one um so it i wasn't at the camp at this at this moment but apparently you know uh kel was chewing on something and uh jerry called him out on it um Jerry and Amber called him out on it, mm-hmm. and uh, and he said, "I'm I'm not chewing on anything." And Jerry's like, "No, you're chewing on something." You're, and then he said, "I'm chewing on a stick." And you know, one thing led to another, and then it just the story got grayer. And and Amber and Jerry was like, "All right, well, I smell blood. We're going to take you apart." <laughs> mm-hmm. So they they just they just were a feeding frenzy on him. And you know, I took him out in the in the canoe or a little boat. I think it was a canoe. And I talked to him. I said, "Listen, you just got to come clean. If you're if you had beef jerky, just tell them. I mean, these they're going to tear you up." And um, no, Keith, I don't have any beef jerky in this and that. And I didn't care if he did or not. I did whatever. Um, so I think that it was really them against him. There was no real beef jerky ever found. That doesn't mean he didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have snuck it in, um, but uh, that was you know. As an army intelligence officer, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it became very problematic, and it magnified his personality uh, in such a way that it, it really backed him into the corner. Um, and, and like I said, to this day, who really knows? The only person that really knows is Kel. Mm-hmm. All right, T-Bird, Jerry, work on Jerry tracking will, him Jerry, down. Jerry will swear by it, but yeah. you know, it's... Yeah. <laughs> I've heard from a, oh God, a number of parties over the years that I've heard that, oh, he had it sewed into his shorts for, yeah, I know, you know, that's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. that uh, I think that Tina has said that when you guys went through customs, that he had like a, a pound of beef jerky on his person. At that point, he had uh, copious amounts of beef jerky. Yeah, oh, you know, I do remember that <laughs> yeah. story now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's, listen. It's it's uh, could be true, could not be true. Who knows? Okay, a lot of one day, maybe that could be a documentary to explore, Keith. God, I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> Jesus, wouldn't that be sad? <laughs> so, Keith, Keith, I know why they put you and Jerry. They started you guys out together because I figure they figured y'all might would clash, but they really wanted you for Borneo. You've told us. So, who do you think you would have clashed with on Borneo? Well, what I was told is that Richard Hatch wouldn't have been on the show. I was told that I was I was the Richard Hatch character. I was the single dad. I fit that demographic, 
and that Richard Hatch wouldn't have been on the sh- supposedly, I don't know, the produ- producers tell you this, who knows if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. But they said, you know, you were that 40-year-old guy, 39-year-old guy, single father, all that kind of stuff that they were looking for, and I just happened to be able to cook. So, mm-hmm. so Oh, my God! No. That changes but, but, survival but, history! Well, but we don't really know. I mean, if you hear one thing or another, who knows? Producers, you know, you guys listen. Mm-hmm. You guys know I'm a producer. Producers yeah. say things, right? We say, we say things. Yeah. So, so, but that that was supposedly the the, the story behind it. Well, um, I was going to say, I know you didn't start out this with this Michigan boy with Michael Scoopin. If he had not been medically evacuated on day 17, do you think he would have gone deeper in the game? And if he had, could y'all have worked together? Because I know he was voted out before the. I mean, excuse me, he was uh, evacuated. Before the jury, had he have stayed in, you guys both being from Michigan, could you have worked together? And do you think he would have gone way deep into the game? Huh. Well, to, you know, Michael's been on an interesting journey over the last few years. I think you guys all know about. Um, okay. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, well, here, here's what I think would have happened. I think that we would have merged and we would have had time to talk and share notes and then realize that, Oh my God, wait a minute. We went to the same junior high. We went to the same junior high. He was there on a different name because then I think he's a year older, a year younger than me. We're one grade apart. I vaguely, vaguely remember him. Went to the same junior high. He was a different name then. Then he, then his mom got remarried and his tick on the name scooping, but that wasn't originally his last name. Um, so we would have connected on that. Oh my gosh, really went to the same junior high. And then at some point in our lives, we dated the same gal a couple times. So there would have been this unusual, natural relationship just because of Michigan and these other components to it um, that would have immediately created a friendship of some sort, number one. So, yeah, we probably would have. Now, that would have then... You know, by then I had already, you know, developed the relationship with Colby and and Tina, and I really like Tina a lot. So to be honest with you, probably what would have happened is I doubt that Mike and I would have then stuck together and right, we're going to take this to the end. I probably had, because I would have seen Mike's character <clears throat> and some of his personality traits that may not have necessarily jived with just me as a person, and I probably would have stayed true to Tina's relationship within the context of that and probably in the end had michael made it farther still stuck with tina uh in that in that mindset i think the real problem would have been colby and michael i think they would have really it would have it would have gotten interesting to see uh those two individuals um with their personalities come together um in 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 that kind of way and Roger too, you know, Roger, Roger liked Michael. He came from Kucha and Michael, Roger became part of, but Roger and I became very close too. I mean, Roger was probably my greatest alliance, really. I mean, we just became really close. We just got each other. We just respected each other a great deal. Roger had mentioned to you at one point about taking Colby out, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because when the when the show was over, and I said to I had said to Roger, I don't know, we were at the rap party or whatever, and I said, "Well, uh, what did I say?" Oh, I said, 
I said, well, I didn't see that coming, how the show ended. I think Colby always felt, no matter what, they were, he was going to win, that people would vote for him, even though he'd say he was there with Tina, that he was going to win. I think that my gut feeling is if Colby knew he was going to lose, he would have taken me and not Tina. But I think that he always felt that he, everyone presented and, create, and created so much aura. Every time Colby walked on the scene, you know, Colby, 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 Colby. I mean, uh, that I think that he just thought he would win no matter what and looked like the stand-up guy bringing Tina along. Um, as we were walking to tribal council, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that he was going to, how that was going to go down, that he, he, Tina was going to stay with him. Um, I think that, uh, and so when the show ended, I said to Roger, I said, well, I didn't see that coming. I said, had it been me and Colby, I'm sure Colby would have won. And Roger says, don't be so sure of that. I said, no, nah, the, the youngins would not have voted for me. He says, ah, don't be so sure of that. I wouldn't have voted for, you know. So I was like, oh, you're kidding. I actually could have won this thing. <laughs> so I, I never I never envisioned I was going to could have won it or was going to win it. If there be if there had been three of y'all in the finals instead of just Tina and Colby, would that have changed things for Tina? How would you be in, in the final three? Because, you know, now, Keith, they have three men, you know, three men or women in the finals. So would that have changed anything with that four to three vote for Tina if you had been in there, too? Oh, I think that if it was between Tina and myself, no, people would still pick Tina. And then Colby, what about you, Tina and Colby, the three of y'all together where the juries vote? Oh, they still would have voted. I think they'd still pick Tina. Oh, yeah, I think Tina. Tina Tina was, you know, really, first of all, she's got this certain personality that she flies under the radar really well. She's a great team player, phenomenal athlete, great person. Just, just she's kind of like a mom and a big sister all wrapped up into one and everything. And I think that no matter what, she would have, she would have won. So, Keith, she did not make it. They did not ask her to be on Winners at War for the winners for season 40. They did not ask Tina or Richard. What do you think you know, about that? Bet you they're happy. I'm glad they didn't have to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> no, they wanted to go. Yeah, yeah they- I don't. Uh, um, the decisions that are made as it relates to the structure of the show, people have to always remember it is a show. It is a business. It is driven by dollars and advertisers and all those things. That that's it. That's the fact of it. And um, when they go through their development process of building a show, those things all come into play. They really do. I mean, we may, may not realize it and understand it, but trust me, they come into play. And I'm sure that when they built that show, they built it with those certain characters for a very specific reason, um, with in mind. You know, so so yeah, it's it's you know. Sorry that they weren't picked. I'm sure mm-hmm. that uh, I'm sure everyone's happy. Richard wasn't picked. Just have to spend all the time with him would be a little, <laughs> a little draining. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, but not Tina. Tina is a great person. Keith, one of the players that you played with that I in almost uh, many years we don't need to say how many of being in this Survivor world have never met, but have always wanted to talk to is somebody that you played with. And that person is Marilyn Mad Dog Hershey. Do you yeah. ever stay in contact with you know, Mad years Dog? Ag- 
years ago a couple times, but uh, you know, and I don't I don't stay in contact with a lot of the, the cast members. You know, where our lives have gotten busy and stuff like that. But early on, I did a couple times. I had some events that we hosted that Marilyn came to. Um, what a great lady! Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, she really a great lady. Really tough. You know, it was tough on her. It's it's hard for older individuals to step up to some of the physical challenges that uh, that they throw in front of you, um, for sure. But um, but I haven't talked to her since then. But really, really a great lady. Mm-hmm. Street shooter. She'll tell you exactly how it is. Yeah. Keith, are you still cooking? Do you do your cooking at home? Because I'm I'm so impressed with all this cooking stuff that um, I had to ask you a couple of questions about that. Yeah, I cook obviously for the holidays and at home with the you know with everybody and stuff and things. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, do I go into elaborate presentations and stuff when I have time? But you know, I'm I'm pretty much almost a seven day week kind of with three different films productions going on, I'm working on something all the time. So usually by the end of the day, the last thing I want to do is get into a long process in the kitchen. But, uh, but when I'm in the mood for it, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's still there. Oh, sure. All right. What's your one, what's the most necessary cooking tool that you have to have? Name one, your cooking tool. And then tell me your most necessary spice. You can only have one, one cooking tool and one spice. Spice, herb, yep. or ingredient. Oh. Uh-oh. First of I should have known going up fr- against a, a cook. Uh, it's a French knife. You know, I'd have to love my friend. You need, a, you need a, a good knife so I can do everything with a knife. Uh, except for make rice, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, as far yeah, I mean, uh, um, gosh, when it comes to seasoning, it's... That's a, that's, that, that's a, I mean, you could, you're going to go sweet, you're going to go sour, you're going to go spicy, you're going to go, you know, aromatic, you're going to go salt, you're going to, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, I would say a seasoning blend that I created that I could use on just about anything that would enhance its flavor. How's that? Okay. Uh, okay. Will okay. that work? I'll go with that. That'll if not, go, that'll then work. I'll go sea salt. <laughs> sea salt. There it is. There you go. I knew we were going to get it out of him. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> sea salt. Keith, uh, are there any areas in which cooking and being a filmmaker are similar? Oh, yeah. People say, yeah. I mean, when, when I first started documentary filmmaking, I'd come into a room and talk about something we're working on, and someone would go, wait, where's your restaurant? Oh, wait, aren't you a chef? You know, it was hard to break out of that mold and explain people I hung my apron up. Um, I tell people I'm still cooking. It's just different ingredients and it's a different canvas. Uh, you're still looking for, you're still looking for, I mean, I still approach it the same way. You've got your main ingredients. What can I use to enhance the flavor of it? What am I going to put on a dish that or in the case of the film, that's going to, you know, heighten the look of it or the feel of it or the sound of it, you know? So I, I guess I'm still cooking just a lot of different ingredients, different type of ingredients. Keith, has the situation with the coronavirus in in terms of what you do, has uh, that slowed you down in any way? Or does it open up any other, you know, stories for you to tell as you document some of the things that uh, human beings are dealing with? Well, the first the first couple months, I pretty much closed the company down and just stayed home and took care of my uh, two-year-old grandson, my daughter's uh, uh was working and stuff. So I, I was, and I, and I kept saying, boy, if I could retire and just do this, I love this guy. and I'm having so much fun raising him. 
And I thought, Grand is this much fun. I wish I did this first. Um, so th- that's what I've been doing, was doing. And now we've been back in production now for about six, eight weeks, pretty heavy and hard. And yeah, we, uh, you, you know, it's a sign of the times. It is, a, it is the new normal. So of course, anytime we're in production, you know, we're all masked up. We just recently filmed with five Holocaust survivors. It took me weeks to design the set and how we were going to do this with these two young people interviewing them so that everybody was safe and everybody was comfortable with that process. So it is, it's a new way of approaching things. Um, since these films are going to air probably all 2021, maybe one of them be ready this year. Uh, the mask thing is an obvious part of the film. Uh, it's talked about, it's discussed, it's, it's somehow part of our daily norm now. So it's become not a prop. It's become something you see uh, within the context of, of the, the story. In some ways, we film with this young man. He's 31 years old. He's been working at a grocery store. He has Down syndrome. He's a great guy. I met him. I was happened to be in line one day, and I met him. And I was like, I love you. I want to talk to your mom and dad. And so we filmed him for our Down syndrome film, or, yeah, for the chromosomally enhanced film. And one of the aspects of the, the piece that we filmed with him was him putting the mask on and him talking about keeping people safe, including his family and, and, his, and the people at the store. So, uh, sure, it's, it's, it's um, whenever necessary, it's a, it's a narrative and visual within the story in some way or form. I think I'm going to love that story. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. T-Bird, do you have any more questions for Keith? Yes! Of course I do. Okay. Okay, Keith, what was your biggest blunder on a cooking show when you were live? The biggest blunder. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of this. Uh, I was actually on Regis and Kelly. I was with Regis and his wife. And it was... It joy. Was joy. It was live. Uh, and I was making a... They had me come on to make... What can I? What can you make with your leftovers from Thanksgiving? And I had been on the show once before, so I'd already had this kind of little rapport going with Regis, and it was nice that they asked me back. Mm-hmm. And I was doing this, and so Joy was on one side, Regis is on the other, and I'm doing this vinaigrette, and Joy is wearing a beautiful leather, not blouse, but like a jacket, and the vinaigrette's oil, oil and vinaigrette splashed onto her. And it, and it wasn't apparent right off the bat. And as we were putting the dish together, she goes, wait, how did this get here? And I was like, and I, and I, I guess it probably happened with me, but I blamed Regis on it. So I guess that was kind of a blunder. Um, <laughs> How did Regis react? <laughs> I didn't do that, Joy. I didn't do that. Joy, I didn't do that. That's Keith. The survivor Keith guy, that. he's blaming me for everything. Right, exactly. There we go. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I thought of that, but. Um, All right. Can uh, we do I this, myself Rob? On television, we- stuff like that. Huh? That was, I was asking Rob, if, do you have a couple of more minutes for me to do something? Kind of, I think that'll be kind of fun. And the listeners who have, by the way, just from everything I learned about you before our talk today, oh my God, Keith, I'm so impressed with you. I'm so glad we did this. But I was going to do this little game so maybe the listeners could get to know you a little bit more as well. Are you up for it? It's short. I think so, sure. <laughs> All right, let's do it. One, I want to honor your careers. I want to honor your cooking career. You're so accomplished and your a director career. So this is what I do. So cooking, this is all stuff with cooking. I'm just going to give you two words. Whichever one works for you is the one. Just yell it out of the two I'm giving you. Okay. You mm-hmm. ready? Well, it works for me in what context? Oh. 
Just whatever, whatever you okay, hear. And you're like, fine. oh, that yep. one. Okay. 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 So this is going to honor your cooking career. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. Olive oil or vinegar? Olive oil. Salt or pepper? Salt. Whisk or tongs? Tongs. Oh, I didn't think you'd say that. Gas stove, electric stove? Gas. Onions or garlic? Garlic. Chef Ramsay, Bobby Flay. Wait, well, who's the first one? Chef Ramsay. Oh, oh Gordon, Gordon Ramsay or Bo Bobby Flay? Yep. Ooh, wow. Bobby. Bobby. Measuring mm -hmm. spoons, colander. Colander. Food processor or mixer? Processor. Martha Stewart. Julia Childs. Julia Childs. Cutting board, chef's knife. I already know the answer for this. Knife. Rice or potatoes? I don't even say the four-letter word anymore. Potatoes. <laughs> potatoes. All right. Emerald or Paul Prudhomme? Emerald. All right. There you go. Wow. Oh, that was great. I love that. <laughs> you were thinking them through so carefully. I love that. What did you think yeah. he was going to say, Rob? Did you know? Oh, T-Bird, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you were. Oh, God. <laughs> Your nails are nails pieces are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Uh, uh, Keith, can you tell the listeners uh, where they can uh, get your book and uh, check out everything that you're working on? Yeah, yeah. I, gosh, I appreciate that. My book, you can go to my name, Keith Famey, F like in Frank, A-M-I-E, dot com. And the book's available there and you can read about a bunch of stuff. And then my website for all my documentaries is just v-prod.com. Yeah, and I have uh, living through the lens here. Uh, really, it, the book is gorgeous. Uh, oh, thank you. You know, uh, filled with uh, photography. A lot of times, Keith, these books really they cheap out on the the pictures are all black and white, and maybe there's like eight pages in the middle that are color. Uh, this is you know uh, full on you know all beautiful uh, photos throughout the entire book, all in color, uh, and really, uh, you know, so many great stories uh, throughout the uh, the book. So, uh, living through the lens, really appreciate you making time to talk with us, Keith. Oh, it's, no, it's my honor. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Okay. All right, You Keith. guys stay safe so, and healthy. Keith. All right, Keith, hold on one second. I just want to say, too, thank you so much. Uh, um, one thing that you wrote in your 2019 book, Living Through the Lens, that Rob just mentioned, you write that to be empathetic toward others will only help us be in harmony as humans sharing this planet. And now more than ever, Keith, we need that. We need you, your stories, your compassion, the caring that you have for the, the people that you talk to that face these challenges. Thank you so much for bringing these stories to light. No, no, thank you. Thank you. We Empathy is something that I think we're lacking in society and we need more of on a more regular basis. So I, I'm hoping that the people find it within themselves to look at other people and the struggles they have and help them on their struggles and learn from them. And cheer them on. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Keith. Bye. All right, T-Bird. There you go. Keith Famey. How about that? Yes. Oh my gosh. 
Rob, like, is he amazing or what? Is he amazing or what? Yes. Gosh. You know, uh, what? I'm that like, was great. I'm just, that, Rob, I'm telling you, as I was starting to research him, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy is, he's fascinating. He's nothing that I would have seen. And I mean, I guess he clarified that when he said, you know, we were all characters out there telling the story they wanted to tell, but he's lived, is still living a fascinating life and touching so many people with his work. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, you know, Rob, it's funny because remember we've talked through our interviews together about how a lot of times some of the survivors have, I think you said egos. Yes. Well, I mean, out of, Everybody we've talked to, I mean, I know we've talked to some accomplished people. Keith is so accomplished in doing the work that he's doing. Again, way before Survivor, way before Survivor, he was accomplished. So, I mean, so a lot of people I know think that this is good. The Survivor will be a stepping stone for them. Oh, you know, it's kind of like we were talking with Randy. Oh, if I could just be on Survivor, then I could do this. I'll be a social media, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, Keith, obviously didn't go into it that way he was already you know had done some really neat awesome things before survivor and he's still going strong so i mean it, it was great oh and by the way when i reached out to him he has been nothing but gracious from the very very start yeah, Other, really you nice know, the guy. only thing the, so gracious and his his assistant reached out to me back and forth Immediately, every time I reached out to her, and the only thing we had to just figure out is in between his very busy, busy, hectic schedule when he could fit us in because he is working, you know, working so much. So, ah, uh, that was great. I love that. Hold on. I got to do that again. I'm going to be ringing this bell all night. That just was so great. Yeah. He told us some great stories, too. I mean, some stuff. I mean, I could have talked to him a lot longer about everything because he's done so much, so much. Even, I mean, other than Survivor. Yeah. So, oh, I hope the listeners enjoyed this one. I know I enjoyed everything that I learned about him pulling this together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, really interesting guy to talk to. Uh, T-Bird, you know, we were talking about uh, Keith's experience with uh, Regis and Joy. Did you have the chance to go on uh, live with Regis at the time? Or I, I'm not sure if it was Regis and Kelly at that time. Yes, yes, yes. With Regis and Kelly. It was great. It was absolutely great. I just posted a few a couple of weeks ago after the past. Yeah, I thought I saw that. A lot a of survivors yep. uh, did that. Yep. And I'll tell you what, again, those two were so, I mean, we were doing Media Week, Rob. They were running us through all these shows. And I'm sure some of these talk show hosts would say, oh, my God. And it was a different network, too, by the way. It was, you know, it wasn't on CBS. It's ABC, I'm yeah. sure some of these, yeah, ABC, some of these uh Hosts were saying, are you kidding? We got to interview a survivor. What? A different network. What? I think even the ones, I think even the ones on the CBS networks weren't that excited at times to right. have us from, from what I re actually remember. But that's another story. So anyway, Regis and Kelly were so nice and gracious. If they didn't want to talk to me, you couldn't have, you couldn't tell it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was wonderful. But what a great story Keith told that. Oh my God. He got great story. Yeah. Great story. T Bird, did you, you know, go on Letterman? Every, yes, we did Letterman. And then the Africa cast also did the top 10 on Letterman. 
Yes. And we did, did we did Howard Stern. We did, there was another light show, Craig Kilborn. We did Hollywood Squares. Yes. What did oh you talk about gosh. with Howard Stern? Uh, yeah. Do you remember well, or no? Hmm, oh, I might can kind of remember. You know, it was Howard Stern. But anyway, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, I opened myself up for that one. Yeah, it was interesting, but it was funny. You know, Rob, I know y'all did Media Week too. Do you see how I'm just kind of glazing right over that question? When when you did Media Week, it's such a blur because we all did so much in that week. But it's so funny when um, I've not looked back at any of CBS was very kind to send us all the media stuff, all the sets of the season from Africa. I've never looked back at anything. If that's crazy. However, yeah, you said you never watched ago, the season other than the one episode we nope. made you watch on Robin and Kevin podcast. Yeah, I didn't want I didn't watch that. And, but what I was saying is I never looked back. They also sent me clips of all the media that I did. Regis Kelly, how everything, all that. I never looked at any of that until a couple of weeks ago. I pulled out the DVD from well, what the DVD? It was one of those big old tapes. It was well, you know, those big old tapes, you know that yeah, I need VHS, to get them put on. Yes, VHS. Uh, when I was on Regis and Kelly, and you know, Glenn and I sat there and watched it, and I, I don't remember it at all. But I, as as I was watching it, it was awesome to look back and watch it and see. And again, I just remember they were so nice. But it was really a long segment that I got to do with them. Yeah. So great memories. I, I guess I need to go ahead and look back at some of that. But I looked at it because you know the passing of Regis, and I just thought, you know what, I, I'm going to look yeah. at this, and it was it was great great what a nice nice guy yeah uh he was uh you you know uh one of the best uh and uh yeah i really was a big regis fan so uh very sad uh to see about uh his passing a couple of weeks ago all right t-bear anything else you want to say for the listeners did you do regis and kelly yes yeah i did i you know i actually did not go on after my first appearance that just Jenna uh, went on as the winner because I was part of the finale, but I went, I accompanied her uh, to the set. And then I came back another time uh, during the summer. I was part of like, they had like a book club and they had me read a book. uh, And I came on to talk about the book and I went with my mom. And then, uh, and then after Survivor All Stars, then I was actually on as a guest. Wow. Hey, well, you know what I learned when I was doing all my research? For everybody, you you know, when I read the intro, I was reading of what all these Australia cast members did after their season. Varner was a fill-in host on Regis and Kelly. Yeah, then they had a whole week of that. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, Kathy Lee had left and they were looking to find a new uh, fill-in host for uh, who was going to replace Kathy Lee. Like they had like Sue Hawk was on, I remember one day. Wow. So were they looking at Varner to to possibly be that replacement? Because, you know, he was doing e-television and uh, TV, TV Guide, I think. Yeah, him doing I, work. I'm not sure that might. Yeah, that might have been at a different a different point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I know Jeff Probst really wanted that job. Oh, I or saw was that at least a consideration too, right. again? Maybe it was. Maybe they wanted right. him and he didn't want it. But I know that he was uh, like used to, he used to be a regular fill in on that. I'll show also. Yeah. Oh, God. You know what? I forgot to ask Keith. What? what was his favorite, his best popcorn recipe? Oh. I mean, you know, like make it, make it, mixing it up with stuff and whatever, da 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 da. Just you know, his best pop. I, I have got so the many sense he doesn't like to talk about food anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I admire. You that. might be right. Yeah, 
So yeah, you might be right. Yeah, he's. Uh, anyway. Let's talk about the movies. Oh God! Okay. And you know what? I'm glad he was telling us about Mary's story. It's Mary's journey. Is yeah. the name of the. I look forward to to watching it. He sent me all of these tapes. All this can't wait to watch that. I'm telling you, when he was telling it, I was just like, oh, getting emotional. It was great. It's great. Great to have him. Everything going good with you? Yeah, everything is going great over here. Just a lot of Big Brother going on. A lot of, a lot of. I mean, th- this last week or so. I mean, we are just like uh, pumping out the podcast right now. Now, do you like Big Brother because all these all stars are on? Does that make it more fun for you or yeah, more, more interesting exciting when when they bring people back? I forgot to ask you. I think who you're pulling for for Big Brother? Did I ask you that oh, last week? T Bird, I'm a journalist. Oh, a journalist, no, eh? I mean that Ian, oh. Ter- Ian Terry is somebody that I've been, uh, you know, podcasting with for years. So I'm very excited for, for Ian to do well. I like Danny Donato, that she's somebody I've known for a long time. So it's really like, uh, yeah. most, most yeah. of the people, you know, that I've had like interactions with, those are the people that I tend to root for. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So FYI, I haven't told you yet. I landed. Our next talking with T Bird today. I haven't mentioned it yet, but now I'm mentioning it. I'm so excited. It is one that the listeners, I've gotten a lot of requests for this particular, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, old school player. I haven't even told you yet. Yeah. So I'm looking really forward to the next one. Although, you know, like I said, it's getting harder. It's getting harder to top each one because, I mean, they've been so good. I mean, Keith was fantastic. Yeah. So. Well, don't feel any pressure to top the the past ones. I think you're you're doing great, T Bird. Well, and, I, and I'm also, not saying can, one's better know, than the keep other. Keep me posted. I, I I also I like that. I like to be. Oh, I like that's to be posted. right. I'm, oh, that's right. I, was I, le- to I ask learned you about first my Myers Briggs type. Uh, let me just let me just tell you, I'm a I, ISTJ. That means uh, I like to know what's happening. I like to plan. Like to have a schedule. So, like so seriously, you're actually, I've been working with you now for however long. You are, you think I'm just learning about this? <laughs> I didn't need this ISTJ stuff to know exactly that I've got to go through you first, but I know it. I know it. Well, hopefully you'll approve. Okay. Well, no, let me just say this. It's not that I'm trying to, to get, I'm just trying to get the ones that the listeners, I mean, I'm getting a lot of requests from the listeners. So I'm just trying to, to make them proud and get these that have just been kind of out and not involved so okay all right i'll all run right. it by you I'll, once we once we hang up i'll run it by you all right sounds good t-bird of course uh really always great to catch up with you we've got uh, a lot of stuff going on in the world of rob as a podcast check out everything at rob has a website.com to make sure you don't miss anything between uh the off-season survivor the big brother tough as nails Everything else, all at robisawebsite.com. And of course, uh, all of this podcasting would not be possible without the support of our patrons. Head on over to robisawebsite.com slash patron to find out more about our patron podcast feed, our patron community on Facebook and Discord and more. All at robisawebsite.com slash patron. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.